The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim God news, good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the from the for the prisoners and free. Recovering of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. <clears throat> the proclaim of the year, the year of the Lord's. Favor. So remember, that's what Jesus said when he was he read uh, from the prophets. This is what's being fulfilled in your hearing today. When he went to his home synagogue and he shared that that message there, that he was going to be one that proclaimed, proclaimed freedom for the prisoners and sight for the blind, and is going to bring a ministry of healing. And that's what we've been walking through here in in Luke, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. And we're going to, to walk through three different parables today that all more or less have the same point. And I, something I was thinking about as I was walking through, how, how am I going to introduce this discussion? And the reality is, is, is all of people that we're partial to and people that we are not, right? And I remember something that happened when I was in elementary school, and it, was, it, was, it wasn't a no, I'll just explain it. I'm not going to justify anything. I'll just ex- I'll tell you the story of what happened. But I remember I got this note from, from a little girl that said, I love you. And, oh man, that was the wrong thing to do to me, okay? Because I had learned that um, girls over there, and I stand on the side where the boys are at, and I don't talk to girls. You know, that's kind of how I just operated as the, the shy kid that I was. And I remember, after getting that note, I remember thinking, oh no! What am I going to do now? And I remember this this terror just just sweeping over me and fear and and oh no this I I can't no this something's going she might come over and touch me and something might rub off on me and this is scaring me to death and I went around the playground for the next while doing this basically. No, I had my, my eyes around every corner and it was just one of those those incidents that that just scared me. And I look back now it's ridiculous and all of that. But as, as I've gotten older, something I've realized uh, about myself and uh, about all of us is we tend to not do that sort of thing. We tend to not ah, run, scream, and holler and, and, uh, when, when someone that, that, that we just want to keep... There's some people who want to keep it arm's length, but we don't run around and scream and holler about it. But we tend to have our own prejudices, our own things deep inside of us where we decide who is in and who is out and who is uh, someone that deserves my favor and who does not or who am I going to talk to and who am I not going to and we walk through life that way in some societies it's more formal and more crystallized than it is in our society but I think if we're honest all of us would say 
there's some people that I would rather not, or class of people I would rather not interact with, given my own druthers. And Jesus' disciples functioned in, in a whole lot the same way. And we're going to see as Jesus continues on, on his way to Jerusalem, in Luke chapter 15, we see in, in verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And so you have tax collectors and sinners, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law are there, and they muttered. So there are the religious and the rogues, there are sinners and saints, all there together to mixed in. And this is what the religious leaders have to say. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Ugh. And we've talked about, from the perspective of the Pharisees, that they had their ceremonial laws that they had built up in addition to what God's laws were, just to make sure that they kept all the gross people far away from them. And that's the way they lived. And so this accusation to Jesus is, wait a minute, this guy, this guy welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Because if he welcomes them and he eats with them, then he must approve of what they're doing and must approve of who they are. That's the type of person that Jesus is. He must be just like him. He's one of those gross people. And Jesus responds here in verse 3. It says, Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Okay, so Jesus starts off with this one parable here. And you can imagine as he's walking along, he's maybe looking out on the countryside, and there's a, a group of sheep up there. And maybe he points up to him and says, Hey, here's the, just imagine this. There is a, a shepherd who has a hundred sheep up there. And one of them wanders off. And so what he does is he goes out, and he, what he doesn't do is he doesn't say, All right, you know, I've got 99 left. One of them's wandered off. No big deal. I'm still eating well. I can still pay the bills. That's fine. Got these 99 that are, that are good. That one that wandered off, you know, he, he, he can go get eaten by wolves if he wants to. That's, that's up to him. And Jesus doesn't tell that parable. What he says is the shepherd goes out, searches all over the place, finds that one sheep, and brings him back, puts that sheep on his shoulders, brings it back, and then celebrates, gathers friends around and says, come and celebrate with me because I have found my lost sheep. And Jesus says the point here is, I tell you that the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And so Jesus tells a very important lesson right here to these people is that God loves it when people repent. That's one of the great messages, and we're going to come to that. But God loves it when people repent. When they're going one direction, and repentance means to change our hearts and minds, but are going one direction and then change and decide, I know my heart has been going this way, I know my heart has been following, running from God, but I'm going to change and I'm going to go the other direction. And no matter how, what obstacles I may come up against, no matter what may happen, I'm going to run towards God. My heart is changed, and that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to celebrate. I'm, I'm going to. And Jesus says, "Man, God celebrates when when people repent." And and another message we get from this is that God is not the keeper of the comfortable. 
It would have been very easy for the shepherd to sit up there and say, well, there's that one that's run off. Good luck. We'll see what happens. I'm going to stay up here with the 99 on the sheep up on the hill where it's all comfortable and there's good sun coming down, there's good feed, and I can take a nap and I can do my thing. He doesn't do that. He leaves those sheep, safe pasture, and goes and he's going to find that one sheep to bring them back. And when he does, he throws a big celebration. And this shows something about the heart of God is that God, from the very heart, cares very deeply about people who have wandered away from God and wants to bring them back. God is an evangelist. God is a restorer. God, that's how he is. That's what his heart is all about. Let's look at the next parable that is, that is given here. Next parable uh, starts in verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so, same type of message here is there's nine safe coins. And she loses one, so she loses 10%. So there's a greater loss here. But still, this lady could have said, well, man, I've got these nine silver coins. I've lost one. I'm good. I've still got nine. I can still survive on that. I'm just going to pursue and I'm going to push through. But that's not what happens, is she tears her house apart searching. She finds it, and then she throws a party. Well, maybe uses that silver coin to pay for the party. It doesn't say that. We don't know. But she is so excited for people to, to understand and to be a part of this great celebration that look at what has happened. There's all these great things that God has blessed me with because someone came back, or my, my coin came back, and I want everybody to know. And he says there, in the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of angels over God, in, of God over one sinner who repents. So God cares deeply about people who come back to repentance. God loves it. He throws parties. He's excited about it. God is, is absolutely thrilled when people say, I've been going this way, but I'm going to turn my heart, I'm going to turn my mind, and I'm going the other direction. I'm going to run towards God. Great celebrations happen in God's heart when those type of things happen in our lives. He continues on. Here's a third parable. And so if there's three parables, Jesus is telling these to really get a point across very clearly. All right, verse 11, it says, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So just imagine this situation. That's, that can't be a happy time for the father. When the son comes to him and says, Dad, you know... I, I got some stuff I need to do. I would rather you just kick off, all right, so I can get my inheritance and I can go do my thing. Can I, can I not wait for you to pass away for me to have my inheritance? Imagine that's heart-wrenching for a father to hear that from his son. But the father gives him his share of his estate. So by 
by tradition and by Old Testament law, the oldest son would have gotten two portions to the younger son's one portion. So this son, if they were the only two boys, this son would have walked away with a third of the estate. And so he walks away, he goes and he spends everything he's got in wild living. But he hasn't prepared because there's this famine that hits. Maybe things would have been great, he made some bad investments, whatever it is. But the famine hits and all of a sudden, this guy finds himself in a place in life that he didn't anticipate. He, what he anticipated is he was going to get his inheritance from his father, he's going to go and live and he's going to celebrate and he's going to party the rest of his life and, and things were going to be great. But the famine hits and all of a sudden he finds himself working for a farmer feeding pigs, which as a Jewish person were prevented from eating pork this guy is in a place where he is even wanting to eat what the pigs can eat, but is not, can't do that. That's, that's, this is Jesus' description of, this is the lowest job you can think of. If, if you went through your mind, I know there's, there's a, a TV show out there I saw a while back called Gross Jobs, and it had like worm farmer and some different things like that. And there's all sorts of those jobs that, that you might be able to be creative and think about and think, oh, man, I'm glad I don't have to do that or I wouldn't want to do that. And that's, this is it. This is right here what Jesus is saying. This guy ended up in the worst possible place trying to wanting to eat what the pigs could eat, but he couldn't even eat what the pigs were eating. This guy had it bad. And you can imagine the people there walking alongside him saying, oh, gross, that's terrible. Don't even say that, Jesus. That's sick. Ugh. Verse 17 says, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out, and I will go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And so what happens here is this younger son is what often happens in life. Sometimes... We make decisions that are painful enough that cause us to say, oh, wait a minute, time out here. The way I'm doing things is not working. How many of you have had moments like that? Okay. Have to call the time out and say, what I'm doing right now is not working. And we've got a choice at that point in time. We can push on and we can continue doing things the way we have and we end up in more destruction and more hurt and... Um, But in this situation, what he does is he chooses the other. He says, all right, man, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm going to go back and tell my dad, and he's rehearsing this in his mind. So I'm going to go back to my dad because his servants live better than I do. And maybe, maybe I can just go back and maybe I can just be a servant and work in my dad's house. And I'm going to um, go back and, and uh, confess and say I have sinned. Say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so you can imagine, he gets up and he leaves the pig slop there. He's starving. I'm sure he looks totally different than the last time his dad saw him. And he is all skinny down. And, um, and he is trying to make this journey and his stomach is grumbling the whole time. And it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And so here you have this one lost son that goes out just like the lost coin, just like the lost and is brought back after the father searches in his, his own way. He doesn't go out and, and, and scan the countryside, but he's there and he's waiting because he knows his son, if he comes back, he has to make the decision to come back. And his son comes back, he finds him, and the celebration that comes out of it, of this son who has gone, his, as the father said, my son was lost and is found, he was dead and now he's alive. All of this destruction, all of this terrible stuff that has happened, that he has subjected himself to, he has come back and I am excited that I'm going to throw a party and we're going to take the best calf and we're going, I'm going to put my robe on him, I'm going to put a ring on his finger and I'm going to welcome him back as my child. Put sandals on his feet and this is going to be a great day because of the great blessings of my son coming back. Just like the lost coin and just like the lost sheep, there's searching, there's finding, and there's celebration because of that. But the story doesn't stop here because Jesus has another point that he wants to make to the people that are listening. It says in verse 25, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So there's a party going on. Everybody's excited. So he called one of, his ser- one of the servants and asked him, What was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate. You never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so, in the next part of the story here, we have a safe son, a son that has been there the whole time, son that has been faithful, has been working, has honored his father all through this time that the younger son was gone and sowing his wild oats. And you notice what the safe son, the older son, says. He says, your son, he doesn't say my brother, he says, your son squandered everything and you celebrate. Now I think the people walking along with Jesus could have identified with this. I think all of us can, if we're honest is that this is not fair. I have been here, I have done well, I have honored you all of this time, and yet I feel like I got the short end of the stick here because the, the, my, your horrible son, won't even say my brother, your horrible son, has gone out and done all of this, and here I am, been by your side all of this time. How dare you repay me like this? And Jesus' response, or the Father's response here, is your brother, and he calls him that twice, says your brother, not my son, your brother, was dead and is alive, was lost and is found. 
In other words, shouldn't you be happy about the fact that he came back? You've had me the whole time. You've walked beside me the whole time. I'm thankful for that. I'm grateful for you. Everything I've ever had was yours. But why are you upset that the son that created all this havoc is repentant? That's the issue here. And I think Jesus leaves the people here wondering who the lost son really is. Is the lost son the one that went away and repented and came back? Or was the lost son that was there walking along the whole time and realized that, wait a minute, I don't like it when my brother gets something here. I don't like it uh, when, when someone else comes into the house that I, I'm not ready for. I don't like that. I think Jesus' point is the son that was there, the son that was safe, ends up being the son that was really lost in the end. Because he's missing out on what the kingdom of God is all about. So think about this. Jesus is... is he brings up a lot of different things here. Now, among them, these religious leaders is that the religious are to welcome the sinners. Just because some of those people that are there listening that are saying, this man eats with sinners and tax collectors and invites and, and welcomes them. What on earth is that all about? Jesus is pointing the finger straight back at them and saying, wait a minute here. Just because you've been around a long time does not give you license to play God. You cannot... Play God. God wants everybody to come and eat at his table. Everybody is invited. And whoever answers that invitation and comes to the table and says, I want to be a part of God's kingdom, is welcomed in. But you have no right to try to push people away from my kingdom. And that's what they did. We see that all throughout the life of Jesus with, in, in the book of Acts with the religious leaders is whenever something pushed them out of their comfort zone or how they viewed God, they tended to push those people away from God's kingdom. And Jesus comes down harder on them than he does on anybody else in Scripture. Is those that have, were, were playing God and deciding who is going to be uh, welcome and, and who is not. And God loves repentance. We'll come back to that here in just a minute. But the, there's, there's several things that we can draw from this here. But one of the things that, that I've, I've pondered and I've, I've thought about this week is the, the message isn't so different for us. Is, it, um, is that the religious or the spiritual are called to welcome people into the kingdom of God. People that may, to us, seem to be people that are, uh, are, are gross or, or people that are on the margins of society or whatever. Our job is to, to welcome everyone, no matter who they are, into the kingdom of God. Now, what happens sometimes, and this is what the religious leaders did, and I used this, these three words a while back and I, because I think this is helpful to a way of describing this to make a point, is that the religious leaders, what they wanted is they were fine for people coming into the, to, to the synagogue and to do that. But first of all, what they needed to do is they needed to learn to behave. You need to practice the Jewish dietary laws. You need to do this so that you don't come in and, and get me sick or, or whatever it may be. You need to learn to behave. And after you have learned to behave some, then you're welcome to come the next step closer and you're welcome to believe and we'll teach you about God. And after you've learned about God... Then we're going to let you into the final circle and say that you ultimately belong. 
Okay, that's what's going to happen. That's what we're. That's how we operate. And Jesus says, "No, no, that's not what's going to happen." Okay, and I'm going to give this. This analogy breaks down at some point. Okay, and I'll, I'll explain that here in just a second. But what Jesus is saying here is, you religious leaders, you're upset because I welcome people that you consider to be sinners, and I eat with them. But how on earth are they ever going to know the message of Jesus if I don't open the door? And so, in other words, I'm well, I'm, I want people to come in, and I want people to feel a sense of belonging. Okay, Now, we understand, time out here for a second, that people become part of the kingdom of God through repentance and, and faith and, and baptism, and we go from darkness to light and that. Okay, we, we understand that. But what Jesus, the point is he's getting across is, I want people to understand that they belong, even if they haven't made this commitment to follow Jesus yet, even if they have not made the decision that I am totally all in, I want them to feel and experience what my kingdom is about. And so I want them to come in to feel like they belong. And because, as Jesus says in John, the world will know you by your love, by the way you treat each other, by the way you interact. That's how the world's going to know you. And once people get an experience of that, then they start thinking, wow, I really want to believe in this God that these people serve. And when I believe, then I learn how to behave afterwards because my heart is changed and I'm transformed. Do you see the difference in this? And so Jesus walks these people through this and saying, you may have people in your world, in your society, that you're not a fan of. And you read the first chapters of Corinthians. Paul says, not many of you were well-born, basically, <laughs> when you came to, to Christ. Not many of you were that way at all. And sometimes, I think there's, a, a, as, as people of God, or churches that are out there, there can be this unwritten sense of, Boy, if, if everything's not perfect, everything's not put together, everything's not clean, then, boy, you just don't fit with us. Country club churches, we can say it that way. And what Jesus is sharing here is that God's churches are often full of people who are undesirable, undesirable to each other, that are learning more and more what it looks like to become a child of God. Now, I know looking out over this crew here and the, the many times that many of you and myself have sat down around the table to have coffee and to pray and to, to, to just share life, what I know is that the church here in Belgrade is full of undesirables. There's plenty of us. And I look out around and of the dozen AA and NA groups that meet in the building, many of you have come to Christ through coming into the building from those groups. Many of you have things that you look back in your past and think, oh man, if everybody knew what I did, that's bad stuff. This is really ugly stuff. Welcome here. Because Jesus shows something very, very important to these religious leaders, these tax collectors and these sinners, that you come into my kingdom... No matter where you come from, no matter what your background is, no matter what it is, if you want at the seat at the table, come to the table. You're welcome in my kingdom. And you notice the, uh, the younger son describes just a, a wonderful example of what it means to, to live in repentance. Go to 2 Corinthians. Go ahead and turn there. We won't go back to Luke. So you can, you can turn to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 
Verse 11. There's some scriptures that are just easy to remember. 7-11, gas station. 2 Corinthians 7-11, okay? Just remember that, and this is a description of repentance. I'm going to back up and start in verse 10, because what has happened here, Paul is, is walking this, these people through uh, some, some sinful behavior that they had been involved with, and what Paul did is he walked them through it step by step. And there was great repentance, and Paul describes it here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. He says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Now think about that for a second. Let's unpack that a bit. Godly sorrow. So these people had become sorrowful. They had realized the error of their ways and they decided to repent from going this way to going this way and said that repentance leads to salvation and leaves no regret. In other words, the repentance that God invites us into is a repentance that, that allows us to leave that regret behind and lead us to salvation. Okay, we'll come back to that here in just a second. But worldly sorrow brings death because what happens is with worldly sorrow, there's no hope whatsoever. When we get caught in sin or we... Um, guilt gets a hold of us. And by the way, time out. The next few weeks, we're going to be talking on Wednesday night during our Bible classes about getting past guilt. So if you've got guilt that, that hangs on to you and you feel like you can't get rid of it, we're going to talk about how to walk through some of that here on Wednesday nights uh, at 7 o'clock. You're welcome to participate in that. I think there's some, some great things that we'll walk through together and learn together. But worldly sorrow, because there's no hope, it's I've done all these terrible things, I have not been the person that I should be, and there is no hope. And there is just this downward spiral that just gets darker and darker and darker as you continue along. But Paul says, no, godly sorrow brings hope, though. It's, it's different. And look at verse 11. He describes what repentance looks like here. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourself, what in indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. You can imagine these Corinthians here is what they've showed Paul is this godly sorrow has produced earnestness, just, just an earnest desire to, to do right. What eagerness to clear yourself. There's no hiding. There's no darkness here. What indignation, what alarm, what disappointment with the sin that has happened, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter because there's repentance sometimes. And, and I, I know what this looks like. I've been there, done that, where I walk through and say, well, I'm sorry about that. And then I turn around and I go right back to where I was before. I said sorry just because I wanted somebody off my back. Okay? That's not the repentance that God talks about here. But it's a repentance that's earnest and to clear ourselves, indignation, alarm, longing, wanting to see justice done, wanting right to happen no matter what happens. I want to be right with God, no matter what, right now. And I don't care if it's embarrassing. I don't care if other people know. I'm going to do whatever I need to in order to make this right because I want to be done with that. And that's what the, uh, the young son demonstrates, doesn't it? He says, I'm going to go home. I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I just want to be a servant. Just let me serve you. Okay? because at least I can have food in my stomach then. And what um, the example that we see here, uh, this description from Paul, 
is that repentance looks like is, is something that is beautiful. Because if you continue to read on, Paul shows the great comfort that comes from repentance. And if you've been around long enough, around God's people, you know how freeing it is and how beautiful to walk through, to repent and realize, wait a minute, what's going to happen is people are going to surround me, people are going to pray with me, they're going to walk through this, and oh, I thought I was the only person on the face of the earth that ever had done that, and I realized once I repented that I'm not so different than everybody else around me. And I have renewed courage, and I have renewed confidence to continue to walk the way that God wants me to, and I can live without regret. Now, I'm sure that in a, in a group our size this morning, there's a, you've walked down the road to repentance. You know, you know this. Um, you, but I found that with, with us as Christians, when we tend to go along in life, sometimes we get comfortable. And, and we may not be participating in the bad sins, you know, whatever those may be, you know, by definition, which changes by society's standards at any given time. Now, some sins have more consequences than others. But we tend to uh, just walk through in the sins of, of pride or selfishness or whatever. We can hide those a little better, but we full-on em- embrace those, or we can. But I would just leave you with this, is that wherever you're at in life, whatever your situation may be right now, if there's something that is in the back of your mind that's there that keeps speaking to you as you heard the words of God this morning, whatever sin that may be, I encourage you to not let it just sit there and eat on you. But just decide, I'm going to be a person of repentance. I'm going to repent. I'm going to find a mature Christian. I'm going to repent these things. I'm going to walk through it. And I'm going to walk in newness of life. I'm going to leave all that behind. Whatever it may be, no matter how small it may be, I encourage you to walk down that road of repentance because what we see from this parable, these three parables, is the celebration that God throws whenever repentance happens is out of this world. And we may not be able to see it, we may not be able to to feel it, but in heaven there's amazing things that happens whenever we humble ourselves to say, God, I have sinned against you, I've sinned against others, and I choose to repent. Please forgive me. And the great things that happen, the celebrations that happen because of it, are out of this world. If you'd like prayers to the church, you're welcome to head to the back. If you'd like to become a Christian, the elders are back there.